From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. This week we are talking Ghosts Under the Water, Ghosts in Soho, Ghosts in the Woods, <laughs> and Hold My Beer the Movie. <laughs> <laughs> one of these is not like the other one. <laughs> sure isn't. And I cannot wait to discuss it. I can't either. Uh, so we both watched, speaking of, let's, I guess, start from the beginning, uh, Ghost Underwater, yeah. we both watched The Deep House. And we I am did. really curious what you thought about this as the found footage aficionado that you are. Okay. Well, The Deep House is a film, it's by the, the, the directors who did Inside, mm-hmm. um, Alexandra Bustillo and Julianne Mori, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially a haunted house movie that takes place underwater. So these these uh, this couple, they're YouTubers. They want you know the 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 the, the Magai and the relationship is obsessed with getting views. He is also played by Mick Jagger's son, James Jagger. Oh which shit! Is very that is. weird. Yeah, I didn't I didn't um, put that together. Yeah, um, and they basically go to this remote location thinking they're going to get something really cool for their YouTube channel. And they end up finding out that there is something very sinister about this underwater house. And it is, God, it does the thing that I really hate when a film won't like commit to found footage. Okay. It flips back and forth between like first person perspective with some really interesting shots of like, what they see underwater, the meters they have, the cameras that they use, but they also like switches to like just regular kind of narrative filmmaking style at the towards at the beginning and kind of throughout when they're underwater. And I really don't like when they like switch things out like that without much of a conceit. I don't know. It's just that is like one of my least favorite things people do with found footage. Like 
either sprinkle it in or commit fully. I feel like this movie like wanted to be found footage, but it was like, oh, there are some parts that are too hard to do as found footage, so we'll just won't do them that way. And I was like, well, then don't do found footage. You know what I mean? Like, don't do like don't dedicate the like that kind of format. I guess in my head, that kind of bothered me a little bit. I guess what I would say, um, because I I know exactly what we talked about, because this movie, and I mean, I think another movie we're going to talk about kind of does this as well in some cases. Yes, Um, it does. But what what I I what I guess what worked for me in in regards to that with this particular thing is that it made the Mm -hmm. opening of the movie feel very open, and sort of like just wide ranging and naturalistic. And then the moment they go underwater, it like. She has thoughts. <laughs> I leave the door cracked so she won't do that. And she's just such a brat. Anyway. <laughs> but we love her. Such a brat. We love her. But she's a brat. Anyway. So it had that very – it's very wide opening. It, there's a lot of naturalistic. There's a lot of traditional cinematography. But the moment they get underwater, it makes it feel even more claustrophobic for me. And so I appreciated yeah. that dynamic for it. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. yes, you're right. There are some more traditional cinematography, but at least it's blamed on the on Tom. They're little, they have like a little drone underwater camera that's that's filming as well mm-hmm. with them. So I, just, I don't know. For that, it kind of worked for me just because from a perspective aspect of, of going from wide open woods to this very claustrophobic, we're stuck in this house underwater type feel to it. So for me, it kind of worked. Okay. But I can understand. Yeah, I think like that bothered me a little bit, but I did really like well some of like the the ghost aspects might not have totally worked for me i really liked like the conceit and kind of the daring they put behind it because this was Mm. almost all shot under actual water like this Mm -hmm. was not cgi like they built this big like tank they filmed in and a lot of this was filmed underwater which i think is really interesting and i think they did something really fascinating with the idea of hauntings not in the typical location and kind of changing up the haunted house. And I think there's some really fascinating kind of lore going on here that I wish had been built up a little bit more and not kind of crammed towards like the back half. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it did feel a little bit like an exposition dump and not Mm -hmm. as paced as well as it could have been. But I liked how they're really trying to like flip the script on the typical haunted house and like change like the way you think about what it means to be in a haunted house and like how the, how people typically interact with a haunted house here. It's so different because they're underwater. Like, yeah, it's a house, but like when you're underwater and don't have oxygen, there's different ways. Like you completely change how you interact with your space. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really quite interesting about how the typical thing that we're so used to in horror, it feels very foreign. Yeah, absolutely. And the, so the, the ghosts in this are all played by, by people and they're, mm-hmm. you know, moving through the water as a person would through water. And sometimes it worked because it kind of gave them sort of that kind of implacable kind of killer vibe that they're slowly moving towards you. But other times I'm like, it kind of reminded me of the, <laughs> the, the moment in scary movie too, where Brenda's like, girl, this is bones. Why are you running from this? Like <laughs> where it's like these, these people are just slowly floating through the water towards them. And I'm like, okay, but you have like flippers. You can like totally like stay away from them because they are slowly moving towards you slowly in a way True. that like reminded me of Jaws three with the sharks slowly coming towards the camera at the very end where I'm like, and was like, no, and it goes on for forever because the shark is so slowly moving towards the the so there there's I, I don't know there's aspects of that i do think that the story behind the movie might actually be more interesting than the movie because of the idea that they had that that tank and they had to bring in pieces of the house and they would submerge underwater to do filming but they couldn't keep it completely underwater because then it would ruin the the you know the um the the, the set design i think the set design of the actual house is really stunning so there's stuff really in here stunning. that like you can see why um, Alexandra and Julian are known for their movies. There's some other filmmaking. In this is really stellar. And then some of it is just like, this maybe might've been a better idea on paper than an execution. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's definitely like a cool technical marvel. And it's pretty short, so it's not like you're going into like a super long movie. It's definitely interesting, and I love how daring they are as filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Like I will say, they make some crazy stuff, and like you can't fault them for doing some really fascinating things with the genre and trying to change up how we think about the genre. So mm-hmm. I think it's a fascinating watch. I think like, you know, the performances aren't my favorite. Mm. But I think there's some interesting stuff going on here in terms of, like, what we can make a haunted house be. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's worth checking out. Just go in with, like, like low-ish expectations, but you'll have a good time. And it's uh, – I think it's – when this episode drops, it should be playing on Epics, which I think you mm-hmm. can, like, subscribe to through VOD stuff and you can watch it. Sort of like what they did with St. Maud, right? I think St. Maud was mm-hmm. Epics. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that was the deep house. I'm a little bit bummed about it, but yeah. you know, that's okay. Um, but what about these ghosts in Soho? Okay, so I feel like I'm the only person on horror Twitter that liked this movie, but I saw <laughs> Edgar Wright, uh, new, his new movie, The Last Night in Soho, which was co-written by him and Christy Wilson Carnes, Cairns, who um, also wrote 1917. And oh, oh. Wrote a few episodes of Penny Dreadful, the original, not the oh. not the redone. Wrote a, was oh. like involved with Penny Dreadful. I so this movie is not what I expected. Uh it is set mostly in the now. I thought it was set in 1960s. And it is about uh this young woman played by Thomason McKenzie, who I think is a I think is a fabulous screen presence. Um, I loved watching her. I think she she owns the state, the screen in such a powerful way. Uh, so she plays this woman named Eloise who is going to school for fashion in London. And she has this terrible, like, it it's definitely has a setup similar to Suspiria and that she's moved into this kind of academy. She's living in this dorm. The people in the dorm are kind of shit to her. But instead of, like, Suspiria and staying in the dorm, she decides to go rent, spend her meager money to rent this uh, room in this, creep, in this kind of creepy old house that has been there for forever. Run by this older woman who has, like, these strict rules about no boys after eight. And the the place is all like done up almost like it's sixties, but that's fine for Eloise because she loves the sixties. She loves that music and stuff. So she moves in. And the very first night that she's there, she has this dream where she is following a woman named Sandy in 1960s played by Anya Taylor joy. So you have two great screen presences here between Anya and Thomason. And she's following uh, Sandy as she kind of goes through trying to make it as a singer in 1960s and she gets this manager jack played by matt smith uh mm-hmm. doctor doctor who things start to go poorly for sandy and what seemed like a sort of wish fulfillment for eloise of like living vicariously through someone in the 60s while she's sleeping starts to turn into more of a nightmare and starts to affect her in the present and so it's okay. a ghost story okay i mean i i don't know i, I guess maybe it's just Edgar Wright's time to take whippings on Twitter, but like I, I did, I guess I'm also in the minority for liking baby driver. So, I mean, mm. take, take whatever I say worth a grain of salt, but I, I really enjoyed baby driver. I, I've not seen a bad movie that Edgar Wright has done. I think this movie is very, it's very stylish. I don't think it's as stylish as some of his earlier movies. I think it's a lot more restrained in that, in that nature. I think that it shows an immense love for a bunch of horror genre films from like the seventies and a lot of romance and a lot of regular dramas from throughout history. I, yes, the characters might be a little thin, but I get enough for what I need to see that this, that it doesn't bother me. I mean, it's a story. It's telling a different story about ghosts and about, kind of that wish fulfillment of nostalgia of looking back at that time at a specific point that you might have a nostalgic love for and realizing that it's, it's just as shitty as it is today. There's one point where Thomason shows up in London and she's being driven by this cab driver and the cab driver goes from saying that, you know, yeah, London might, might look different, but it's still the same thing from the set from the sixties. And then he asks, Hey, where are you living? And he's like, I think we can like, uh, you know, talk about, you know, if you don't have money, there's other ways you can make like there's so there's that kind of aspect that like it is saying like, yeah, you might look back at the 60s with some kind of idea of some glamorized look, but it's still as shitty as it is today and and nothing really changes. Mm. And so that 
is a big core of the story here. And so I, I don't know. I just, I really fell under its spell and I think it's, I think it's a good movie, <laughs> but I look on Twitter and feel like I'm in the minority there. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I just heard that Edgar Wright just does not write women very well. It's kind of like the kins, a lot of the consensus that I've seen just from Twitter sentiment is that he just doesn't write his female characters very well. But it was also co-written, though. I mean, so it's not all him. Yeah, it, that's true. It was co-written that's by a, a woman point. with a woman, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. You can still not write good characters, yeah. good female oh, characters, yeah. and be a woman. But... I don't know. I just yeah. I still need to see it, and I'm I am curious about it because I've heard I have heard like wide ranging things about it. So mm-hmm. hmm. I thought it was fun. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> but again, <laughs> I, I would, also I, love Edgar Wright. Yeah, I mean, I like him a lot too. I I didn't I didn't hate Baby Driver. I don't think I liked it when I saw it for what it was. Like, but I also really I, I like the Corn the Cornetto trilogy. I really oh, like those yeah. movies. Like those are incredible. We all know that, but um, and I mean, I also like Scott Pilgrim. Uh, I fucking love Scott Pilgrim. Okay, good. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that he did Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Oh, that's right, man. I love those comic books and that movie. It's so fun. Yeah, I, but... I don't. I don't think he's made a bad movie, but I just I feel oh. like between Baby Driver and this movie, it's like all of a sudden, you know, it's his turn to take the Twitter lashings. But I don't know. That's just my opinion. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. But now you have also seen Paranormal Activity next I to Ken. I have seen Paranormal Activity next to Ken. Dying to hear your thoughts on it. I saw your, your tweet and we've talked a little bit, but I am really curious yeah. to like kind of dive in more, a little bit, maybe a little bit more spoiler-ish. Excuse me. Yeah, let's do that. So okay. listeners, we'll put time codes in the description of the podcast yep. just so you kind of, you can avoid spoilers. But I think... I think we should chat some some spoilers here. Mm-hmm. Um, so you saw it. We talked about it like, briefly last week. I saw it on Friday. It's Paranormal Activity Next of Kin. It's seventh Paranormal Activity movie. Not much to do with what is going on in the previous six. Uh, like Terry said last time, it's about a woman who discovers that she is Amish, in scare quotes, which we will reveal. Uh, her mom, like she was born... It's an Amish family, and she was given up for adoption, and now she's, like, found her family again, and is, like, making a documentary about her Amish family that she never knew, and is, like, trying to kind of, like, make sense of who she is. And, of course, nothing is what it seems on this spooky <laughs> Amish farm. So, this has a similar problem to what I talked about with the Deep House, in that, like, it just decides to sometimes not be found footage, mm-hmm. but not enough for it to make any fucking sense. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the Deep House, there was a little bit more of, like, it, enough of it was out of found footage that I was like, uh, uh, all right. Like, I, I get it. I'm still annoyed by it, but, like, I get it. But there are points where I'm like, why couldn't you just have this be him shooting it instead of this weird, like, you show him holding the camera and no one else is filming? Like, it's very – the stylistic choices, I think, are, like, super uneven, which is super disappointing because – it's a paranormal activity movie. And like, mm-hmm. like I've talked about 5,000 bajillion times, like the first movie set up these standards of like what it means to like have found footage and like security cameras and static camera. And there is like none of that static camera stuff, which makes me so mad. Like there was not really any, like, I feel like most of them have a cool moment where like everyone's asleep and something is filming. And like, I, I get that they want to like expand upon the paranormal activity movies and like, don't want to do the same things over and over again. But this movie is so different in scope and size and everything that it's hard to see it as a paranormal activity movie. And like, I've seen a lot of those complaints online. I don't necessarily agree with that. I have a lot of reasons why we can get into that if we want. But the other thing that really annoyed me was the music singers and the sound effects (laughs) that were very obviously non-diegetic. Like they weren't like... They were things that like make you jump more, mm-hmm. but they used them like it. It it's okay. I wouldn't have a problem with it if it was something that was in the entire movie. But it's like they picked and choose specific moments to include music. Like there's nothing, 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 and then all of a sudden we're going to have a music stinger. So I'm like, 
You can't – they yeah. sort of like how you're saying with this sort of traditional cinematography vice, the, the cameras, it's like they want to have their cake and eat it too. They, they don't mm-hmm. know what to do. Are we going to do it this way? Are we going to do it this way? Uh, we're going to do whatever we feel like in the moment. And I feel that yeah. the same way with the music scores, the stingers. I agree. So I think that those two stylistic choices were like pretty poor and I think could have really been avoided. I don't truly understand why they made those decisions. I know that Chris Landon, who wrote the movie, I think, like mm-hmm. kind of went off on Twitter about this whole thing in a oh, rather he? childish way about how like, fuck you guys, like we weren't going to suck every, like we weren't going to suck fan dick and like put all these Easter eggs in it and like make it, I'm like, chill. Like it was very aggressive about the people who didn't like the movie. And I was like, oh my God, like relax. Like it's very intense, like very, very, very like a lot about like the criticism of the movie because it doesn't have like there's no katie there isn't like a toby but there is a demonic presence Mm -hmm. and i kind of like this idea of make of having the hard thing is like paranormal activity is known for being taking place like solely in a domestic space you don't really leave the domestic space like you're in one place for most of the movie so it's more a little bit more contained it feels a little bit more terrifying. Here, it's a much more wider in scope in that, like, they're traveling to multiple locations. The house they're in is not their house. They walk through the woods. There's a church that they film in. So the scope is a much, is, like, more of, like, a traditional, like, found other found footage movie in terms of, like, the spaces that they film in. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that they expanded it. I like that they kind of investigated a different kind of domestic space and, like, what is part of the domestic space in this one. There's, like, the house, the barn, and the church. So it's bigger in scale. But I think they did something really cool here in creating a new mythology that is, like, quasi-related to, like, the cult witchy stuff of the original six and continuing something not necessarily related, but, like, a similar kind of vibe in terms of inherit female-inherited like demonic curse stuff mm-hmm. which i really liked and have a lot of thoughts about how like women are the only ones that can bear this there was this whole monologue where one of the amish boys is like only women can bear the pain of this curse women are the only ones strong enough to hold it back and i was like fascinating fucking fascinating so like i have to unpack that at some point in my brain on on paper probably but I think that there is a lot of, like, Blair Witch vibes a little bit here. Oh, and, like, mm-hmm. Blair Witch vibes, some cult horror vibes. And I liked that a lot. Like, I did – I know people, like, didn't wanted it to be more, like, paranormal activity. But I did kind of like it branching out. I thought there was some really interesting stuff that they were trying to do with that, which I appreciated. I mean, you have six movies of this – of the same – uh, kind of the same thing going over and over again. It's like a stationary yeah. camera in a house. I mean, at what point is that? Can you can you can you not iterate on that? And the only way to like yeah. to move forward is to do something completely different. And so it, it didn't bother me. I, it still had some of the, yeah. the kind of aspects of it, like the days, like we're we're counting the days. It we have sort to of the lacks. Title cards. Yeah. It lacked the sort of like suspense that because one of the things I liked about Paranormal Activity, and we talked about this in our um in our audio commentary for for Paranormal Activity, is the way that like you start to dread those those title cards as it went into night mm-hmm. because things were getting progressively worse at nighttime. And you miss that here because it's just basically counting down the days, but you have that aspect of it. Like you said, you have the, the sort of like inherited, like witchy culty stuff going on. There's like a demon. There's like aspects of that kind of cult. Like, I think that it takes this sort of thematic aspects of what makes paranormal activity and then just blows it up in a greatest hits way like i'm watching this and like oh this feels like it could be wrecked there's a point in here where the demon's chasing after them and it's so claustrophobic so good i love that though like so this movie has like a physical presence Mm -hmm. that is a monster there isn't like the shadows like there is a physical creature Mm -hmm. and i love that i Mm -hmm. was i think we needed something like that in paranormal activity, I think, like, yes, there's something terrifying about, like, the unseen presence. But, again, like we've said, there's been six of these movies, and I think having this more tangible force is something – as a breath of fresh air for what these movies are. And it's a little less, like, 
oh, was what was that? And more like, oh, no, like there's a fucking terrifying monster. And the found footage aspect now is like wreck where you're hiding in the dark, trying not to be loud. It felt so I thought about this watching it and I saw this comparison online. It felt like a Resident Evil game. Like it felt like Resident Evil 7 mm. to me a little mm. bit. Like in terms of a lot of like the first person camera night vision like stuff Outlast. and like hiding behind. Yeah, it's like hiding behind hay bales and like navigating around this farm to avoid this creature. Um, and you're in a place that is unfamiliar to you. So there's like yeah. that aspect of it. It's not, it's not your home that you're trying to, that you know all the places of. This is like not somewhere that you're yeah. used to. And what's really interesting though, too, is like this concept of home in this is really different because technically, like she was born there and that's where her mom is from. Mm-hmm. And like it plays with this idea of a home, but not really. And what that means for the protagonist in this, where it's like, this is where she was born and where her mom grew up, but it's not really a home. And I think that's a really interesting like, tension that is present in this movie and it investigates familial ties in a much different way, but still having that like the familial connection, like kind of through line of paranormal activity. It also has a hole in the ground that was absolutely terrifying. Yes, there is in fact a hole in the ground that I liked I got as above, so below vibes from it. Mm. But I liked how they used, like, those spaces. Like, different mm-hmm. levels of space. I don't know. And, like, the, the third act is absolutely crazy. I oh, wish there God. was more of the gore at the end. I think there's, like, this incredible moment where just, like, all hell has broken loose. And, like, everything's on fire. And mm-hmm. people are bleeding. They're gouging and, like, out their eyes. eyes. And, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. And Insanity. so, like... I, it it's 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 chaos and i thought that was really fucking cool cuz again like paranormal activity finales are usually big like they're 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 pretty small cuz it's like one family mm-hmm. and it's like a pretty usually a, a pretty big finale but relatively small scale and here it's more like it's chaotic which i really appreciated and i think they opened it up for see they they had it pretty open ended so if mm-hmm. they want to make another one there is a, a possibility that Another one will come. I don't know, man. I think I liked it a lot. I think that people have a lot of complaints about it. And like, I guess I get it. But at the same time, I was pretty, it's really, it's really stylish. Cause like, Mm -hmm. it's, they have the weird moments where it's not found footage, but there are a lot of moments where they like acknowledge, oh, we have a nice, like a DP who is using, like he's, he is filming a documentary. So the cinematography is so beautiful because he is trying to make it look pretty. Like, they play with slow-mo at one point, and I wish they had done more of this, but, like, they introduce, like, the slow-mo cam and, like, how many frames per second, and then they sl- the camera glitches at one point in slow-mo and, mm-hmm. like, part of the climax, and it was so cool. It was beautifully – it's beautifully filmed, and it's because of Pedro Luque – I don't know mm-hmm. if that's how you pronounce his last name, who was a cinematographer in Don't Breathe. Oh, okay. Yep. And Don't Breathe too, but we're just not going to acknowledge that one. What what I need though, I need a found footage movie to use drones better. <laughs> yeah, I thought yeah. Blair Witch. I thought Blair Witch was going to do that in 2016, and it didn't. No, that which was is the a biggest fucking like, bummer. Yeah, and then here they had a drone, and they had like a reveal with like a small reveal with the drone. But I wish there, like, I just think there's so much untapped potential with drone footage and found footage that hasn't been used yet. And I'm, I get really frustrated when I see them use the drone. I'm like, what cool thing are we going to reveal? And then it's just kind of not executed. And it makes me a little, like, can you imagine a 30 days of night found footage style thing of like everyone rab, like fucking each other up on that farm? Like that would have been in fucking credible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really would I don't know, like what the logic behind why that would happen. I I, I have not thought it through, <laughs> but I just think there's such this. The thing that disappointed me was this movie didn't necessarily do like the technological innovations that I necessarily think of with with Paranormal Activity too. Like kind of playing, and they did that a little bit with like the slow mo stuff, but I just don't think they pushed the envelope in the way again that the franchise usually does. But this is me also nitpicking about very, like, this is just me loving the franchise and being Mm -hmm. like, well, they didn't do this one thing. But that doesn't, again, like, they aren't beholden to that stuff. I know they're trying to do something new. It's just interesting to see, like, what they kind of chose to keep versus what they didn't. And also the sound guy was really funny when he got the berries and clean haircut. I loved him. (laughs) He was cute. I liked to. That's the way to do comic relief. He wasn't obnoxious. Like, I thought he was actually genuinely funny. He's a silly man. Yeah, I liked him a lot. 
So, and I also like that this one, again, there was a black, like the film, the, the guy who operated the camera for the most part was a black man. Mm-hmm. And I just thought there are not a lot of black people in found footage. So it was just kind of nice to have like one of the only characters in the movie be a black guy and have it and have it not be like a oh it's a black guy and just have it be like a black character in a found footage movie like it's just so unusual especially in paranormal activity besides the marked ones which was all about like latinx communities um they're all very white besides that one so it was kind of nice to see at least one not white face in the film as well you know little things like that but yeah i I really enjoyed it. I think it's bananas. I think they really swung for the fences and didn't, you know, to continue my baseball thing here. It wasn't a total home run, but it, it was, <laughs> I know sports, but I, I enjoyed it. And I just think, I think the ending and I think the way, the angle that they took with the folk horror cult stuff was really cool. And I think made a lot of sense for paranormal activity. And I know people might not think that, but I think it was like a logical next step for sure to lean into that full core aspect. So I liked it. I loved it. So I'm, I'm here for it. I don't agree with you that it's better than the first one. <laughs> I will say. That might have been reaching a bit. I but... was, I will, I do disagree with you on that, but that's okay. I still really liked it. So. I might be reaching with that one. I do think that of That's the okay. movies that I've that I've seen of those, I this would be one that I would watch more than more often. I really enjoyed it. I really, I, I just, I love the finale. The finale, the finale for me really... is just like. It's pr- I'm sad they didn't put this in theaters. That finale would be fucking. Cool I know, seriously. It's a cool. Imagine this with the right audience in a movie theater. I will big. say. I was really mad with the scene where she's confronting the monster and it, it was not found footage when they could have had her like filming oh. the mom walking towards or like the mm-hmm. creature walking towards her and they didn't. I was like, that's fucking waste. But, <laughs> but whatever. I was, that really frustrated me. I was like, this would have been such a cool scene to have her filming or like have the camera at her side and like you see the creature walking towards her would have been so much more tense. But here I am. Anyway, that's paranormal yeah. activity. <laughs> I told you I had a lot of thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of having a lot of thoughts, uh, you had sent me a text about this next movie that uh, was basically said, the last hour said, hold my fucking beer. So let's talk about hold my fucking <laughs> beer, the movie. What was our first erotic thriller, uh, Mary Beth? Our first erotic thriller <laughs> was Wild Things. <laughs> Starring Denise Richards, mm. Nev Campbell, mm. Matt Dillon, mm. Kevin Bacon, mm. Bill Murray, mm. and a slew of other people. And this film was directed by John McNaughton in 1998. And he also directed Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. He sure as fuck did. Which is a fascinating range of films because that movie's fucking gross and both of these movies are pretty gross but in very different different ways so i haven't seen this movie since um sometime probably in maybe the early 2000s was probably the last time i watched it it was one of those watches where uh i would watch it when my parents went to bed for hmm masturbatory purposes let's just let's just not beat <laughs> around just, that let's bush just, like, say what it is like yeah this is a movie that you watched when you were younger and you took off to because mm-hmm. uh it, it's hot it's incredibly hot yeah y- yeah it is i had never seen it until I know, last I'm night i'm so curious to hear your thoughts i mean i got um, some of them in text you, but you did um, this is the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> this movie. So I, I want to say that it, <laughs> when, when you first texted me and you're like, this movie's going to make me mad. Because if you read the synopsis for this movie, it starts in a place that is wildly different than from where it ends. 1000%. Yes. The premise of this movie, according to IMDb, is a police detective uncovers a conspiracy behind a case involving a high school guidance counselor with when accusations of rape are made against him by two female students. That is the start of this movie. And I can imagine 
getting into it and seeing what this is going to be about, how you're like, oh, I'm going to be ready to hate this movie. But then it just goes. And I'm curious what your thoughts were as this was unfolding in front of your eyes. So what were my thoughts? My thought, well, uh, (laughs) by the end, I was like, yeah, motherfucker. Fuck men. Hmm. Love to see it. Hmm. Incredible was how I ended. I started off like, I fucking hate men. And I ended up with, I fucking hate men, but cheering. (laughs) I... Nev Campbell's watching me for my screen poster as I think about how to say this, so it's very weird that she's watching me. Um, this movie knows what it is, and I love that. Like, it's so ridiculous. Like, the, there's like six, seven, ten plot twists in this movie. <laughs> I lose like, track. Like, it's incredible how many plot twists there are. But like, this is also is a movie that knows how ridiculous it is. I feel like because it keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. I, I'm surprised I didn't watch this movie younger because this would have made me realize I was bisexual much quicker <laughs> if I'd watched this at like a more formative age because watching the threesome and then oh. Denise Richards and Nev Campbell both try to murder each other and then fuck in the pool. <laughs> yes. While Kevin Bacon is watching on. While Kevin Bacon is zooming in on them with the video camera and tries to like, look at evidence and they're like, it's a fucking porno, you goddamn fool. <laughs> Like, everything about this movie is so 90s male gazy, but it's so obviously male gazy that I can't be mad about it because it's so obviously shot that way. Like, the way that you look at Denise Richards' body, especially where, like, you look down her shirt and you see her white lacy bra and, like, the way she is framed at all times and is dressed and, like, you – I just – it's so obviously being like, look at you looking at these young girls. Mm-hmm. To me, is how I interpreted it. And it might, that might be giving the movie too much credit. But it felt like the whole thing to me, or a lot, lots of it, were about how these creepy men are viewing these young women as sex objects. And then these women are, in fact, sex objects, but because they want to be sex objects. And again... Definitely, like, not an empowering movie necessarily, but I think there's some interesting kind of play going on here with, like, a woman's power, a man's power, these power dynamics. I think because there's so many fucking plot twists and the way it ends, I'm like, I was worried this was going to be like, look at the men, but it wasn't look at the men. So that made me very happy because I was very concerned we were going to be ending on a note where it was like, haha, women are disposable. And I was going to be like, this movie's terrible, but... And no, that it doesn't. Makes me very happy. So you talk about the male gaze aspect and like the the way that the I am wondering if it is intentionally kind of doing it or if it it's it's sort of like reading too much into it. I think it's intentional because if you look at the cinematographer, uh, it's the cinematographer behind Top Gun. Okay, <laughs> Jacob's Ladder, Jacob's oh. Ladder, True Romance, Stigmata, okay. Mission Impossible what? Two. Uh, I mean. This is this is a good cinematography. He would eventually go on to direct or to shoot "Run the World Girls" by Beyonce, that music video. Oh. I feel like this is a guy that knows what he's what he is shooting. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Like looking at what he's worked on, because like it just it feels so intentional. You know, like mm-hmm. it's so it's so obvious when they cut to like the girls washing his car and they're like, in all white mm-hmm. and they're soaking each other with with like. The, the hose and like you're meant to be looking at these young girls in this way very specifically and you're supposed to feel it feels dirty and voyeuristic like this whole movie feels very voyeuristic and they're all like when kevin bacon is filming them like there is mm-hmm. very obviously like a voyeuristic aspect to this movie it's also camp like there is camp oh. performances in this the, the the mother uh denise richards's mother uh is just like <laughs> Teresa russell playing sandra van ryan she is just giving a camp performance in this just like she knows what she's doing she's walking out in her bathing suit she is like the way she clips the way her dialogue is so clipped this is obviously someone playing an affectation playing a part i think all these people are playing a part bill murray showing up with the the scuzzy the scuzzy lawyer who is wearing like a neck brace because he himself is being like trying to to win over you know a a case against him probably for insurance you know there's that you have kevin bacon stepping out of the 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 shower with his 
Wang just hanging there. Like I was so hoping that they were going to be gay. Oh, I know. I made a note about I this. Was I was like, so... in some other, in some other decade, they the two would have been gay lovers, and this would have been that would have been incredible. I was like, oh my god, are they going to get in the shower together? I was so excited, but they didn't. I kind of feel like everyone wants to fuck Sam Lombardo. Including oh, 100%. Kevin Bacon. The one character who really pissed me off, though, was the female detective. Mm. Just because, like, she was very much, like, okay, like, I get that she was right, that the girls were, like, crying wolf about it. But she was just very aggressive. We're like, she's a lying little bitch about, like, accusing him of rape. She was so quick to be like, no, she's a liar. I'm like, I don't like that whole weird vibe we're getting this like internalized misogyny because also like kelly van ryan who's denise richards is like a florida socialite everyone knows who she is and everyone like talks about her like oh my god you're letting her wash your car like she already has this sexualized vibe to her which is Mm -hmm. so creepy again with the like we just talked about just think about fear and like (laughs) there's so many parallels with fear um anyway but it's just like this like sexual presence that everyone knows about and even though she is only a teenager mm-hmm. and like that is really nasty but then they also have like the very rich girl versus the very poor girl because mm-hmm. Campbell's character is lives in a trailer and she like lives in the swamp and they call her swamp trash and they have this really interesting like power dynamic that way and like the money dynamic but then it's flipped like 5,000 different times and but they just like there's this assumption from this police officer that like Kelly Van Ryan is like a little bitch, and I was like fascinating internalized misogyny going on here with how like women were always kind of attacking other women. I mean, it's pretty it was pretty common and until very recently, yeah. it still is in movies and stuff. But like very aggressively like talking shit about like a seventeen eighteen year old girl who like was hitting on adult men, but like they shouldn't have been reciprocating. <laughs> right. Also, that guidance counselor should have been fired immediately. Like, I don't understand how oh. that man mm-hmm. still had a job. And mm-hmm. also, his sandals are terrible. <laughs> Why would you ever fuck a guy who wears shoes like that all the time? I'm sorry. If you look like Matt Dillon, I would probably fuck you if you were wearing the sandals. Something about him makes me so uncomfortable, though. Like, oh, really? he is such a scuzz. And a he lot is. of movies I've seen him in, he just plays such a skeezy guy. And, like, his the vibe is just so greasy and gross i'm not saying i would want to marry him no i know i get it i totally get that but i couldn't have sex with that i'd be like Uh, you're gonna murder me (laughs) where i'm like yeah murder me uh, yeah then you're like no 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 please do that and like meanwhile i'm texting you like nev campbell step on my throat so like obviously like my priorities here are like a little bit different (laughs) but also nev campbell step on my throat because she was I, I, the, the butchness coming from her was just really doing it for me. I was like, "Oh my god!" My when she is drinking that champagne bottle during the threesome, I was like, "I want to be that champagne." Oh, bottle. I know. Let me tell you that scene in particular. Put, put your lips on me, baby. I was like, "This is just pure sex," and I was when feeling he takes it. Off her underwear. I, it's a really hot scene. Like, can he just like takes off her underwear, pouring and the champagne just... over the breasts, and then, then oh. just like it's just it's so. It's it's so weird to watch um, movies in 2021 that are trying to be erotic thrillers, and then you watch this movie from 1998, and it's like, why can't she be more like this? <laughs> no, Campbell just dumped champagne on Denise Richards' boobies, and Matt someone licked it off. Like, what what's stopping you from that now, you prudes? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking prudes. Come on. Uh, uh, I don't know. I but just like, think that, if- this is the thing. Where is the sex like this in movies now? You know, like we don't we ta- get it. Like, like, we, we don't get it, and it's like we are so prude. We are so prude. Yeah, I mean, I've watched like four erotic thrillers this year that are new, and none of them hold a candle to this anywhere near this. Like it, this is in a different state. Yes, yeah, another dimension. <laughs> Lighting a bonfire <laughs> compared to like these other movies that I'm watching. I'm like. Eh. What was it about Denise, the 90s? When Denise Richards throws off Nev Campbell's shirt into the, mm. I don't know why, like her wet shirt in the pool. And she just goes, oh. I feel like we were all terrified of Y2K. We were all ready to die. They probably <laughs> were all just like, tits out. Let's just go. We're all going to die anyway. Like, might as well just like let Please everything hang out. Sky. Just 
Well, I do think I that... But, like, I don't... I, that's not... That's, like, partially a joke, but also, like, partially true. But, like, especially in 1990... And this was 1998, but, like, that was getting close to Y2K, and people were just like, uh, well, fuck it. <laughs> like, chaos reigns a little bit. I yeah. mean, I haven't done a ton of research into that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that had something to do with it. Well, I also think that this movie had to be made when it was made because um nev campbell is coming off of scream where she was playing sort of like the i mean maybe not so much in the second movie but in the first movie the sort of like virginal final girl right and she was coming off of playing um in party of five that tv show so i think she had like that sort of like family you know even though scream is not a family movie but sort of like that family vibe to her that girl next door family vibe and so what does she do she goes here and she says no fuck this it's sort of like what a lot of disney people do after escaping the claws of like disney you know comedies and and that kind of stuff you you go full adult and i feel like that's what is happening here yeah yeah i'm here for it i'm definitely here for it i love it when like disney stars are like no 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 like i am now fully like a sex symbol and you're like you know what fucking great good for you for you own your body (laughs) own it well, Denise Richards had been in a bunch of stuff before this, though. I know that. But, like, she's a sex symbol. Oh, yeah. She's like, – she, I mean, she's, she's always been, though. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's just interesting to have, like, Denise Richards as, like, the sex symbol and then Neef Campbell come in. I was like, oh, but iconic. Like, what an iconic pair. Mm, but I, I know. love that pairing. Like, holy shit. She was – Denise Richards gets, like, a lot of shit for her acting. But I think she was really good in this, to be perfectly honest. I'm just going to say – She's not bad in this movie. Like, she definitely sells the, like, kind of, like, overly horny 18-year-old, but also, like, devious 18-year-old really well. I definitely thought that she was pretty, like, not a bad actor at all in this one. No. Especially because everyone's, like, kind of campy. So I think, like, her acting style kind of lends itself to that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This movie rules. Like, it's not... It's not progressive. Like we're not like we're not like solving women's women's issues with this movie. Like let's just be clear here. No. But it fucking rules. It is just nothing you expect. And I'm I knew nothing about this movie going in, which is like the best way to do it. Because I was well, just like the funny thing though is, is that like I again I haven't probably seen this since my young masturbatory days of watching movies. And my parent like when my parents went to bed, but I was like not knowing what was going to happen. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot this movie started this way. And I was like, I know there's a lot of twists, but what's going to happen? It's like, oh, my God, Neff Campbell's still alive? Like, all these little twists that are happening. I was like, it, it's, it, it worked for me. And I again, I haven't seen this in forever, but it's surprising. It's really surprising. It's fun. It knows that it's like – it's basically just like, yeah, let's have like 3,000 different twists. Like, why not? Like, we'll just like completely turn it up to um, like 11. And it does it, and I love every second of it. And, and we'll continue through the, tr- through the credits. <laughs> through the credits. You have to watch the credits because the credit scenes are very important. But it's an incredible film. And I think we've really started off our uh, – Maybe on too much thriller. of a high note. I know. Shit. I think. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. But needless to say, I am very excited to watch more erotic thrillers because this Me is too. a fucking experience. Horny on Maine. <laughs> Horny on Maine. Uh, so you speaking say no, of. Not, no, you say no, not November. I say never stop nodding November. <laughs> yes, plus don't do not do no, no, no November. Please it's don't not, do that. It's not good for your it's health. It's not good for you. It's not good for don't. your sexual health. I'm sorry. No. It's not. It's not. But what is good for your sexual <laughs> health is watching more erotic thrillers. So where are we going next week, Mary Beth? So next week, we are going to watch Jane Campion's 2003 film, In the Cut. Yeah. Starring Meg Ryan, Mark Ruffalo, and Jennifer Jason Leigh. Oh, I forgot Jennifer Jason Leigh. I have been dying to see. And I just, you know, it's one of those things you ha- I haven't. And now I'm using this as a fucking excuse to see it. And I'm so stoked for it. So that is next week's watch. So... I cannot wait. I'm excited. But Terry, who are we talking to next week? Okay, so on Monday, we are talking with writer, therapist, and podcaster Mike Snoonian. Uh, and he brought with him a Dan O'Bannon fucking banger, Dead and Buried. Banger. This banger. movie. If you haven't seen it, before we talk about it, go out and... And watch this shit. It's on Shutter right now. Go watch it because this movie fucking slaps. This 
movie is incredible. So please watch it before we talk about it. Or not. But it should because it's incredible. It should be talked about more. It should be talked about more. It's celebrating its, it's like, what, 30th birthday? 35th? 30th? 30th? I think it's 40th. 40th? No, it's not 40th. Oh, my God. Is it 40th? Jesus Christ. Am I that Are you old? sure it's 40? It's fucking 40. It's my age. <laughs> I am as old as this fucking movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but it's a movie that you definitely want to experience without knowing what's going to happen. It's like, you know, I'm not a big, huge fan, like spoiler culture, yada, yada, yada. But this movie is one that you definitely, if you can go in without knowing what it's about and just let the movie. That's exactly what I did. Unfold. Great. Because mm. it didn't go anywhere where I thought it was going to go. So, no. yeah, it's an incredible, an incredible pick of Mike's. So I'm super stoked for you guys to hear it. And that movie is so good. And hopefully we can help revitalize the conversation around it because yes. it's incredible. But listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Did you watch one of the films that we watched this week and have thoughts? Do you have erotic thrillers that we should talk about? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGaley Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please, if you can, give us a rating and a review and make sure that you are subscribed. Please. Thank you, Derek Power, for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. Most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>